Good morning, everybody. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, this morning, we're going to be, we're going to sing one of my favorite songs called I Will Rise. We know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because we know that he was true and, uh, and that he was right when he said he would rise from the dead, we also know that we will one day rise from the grave as his children. And that's what this song is about. We want to invite you to sing it with us. Jeremy's going to help us out. It's great to have uh, Jeremy and Summer Anderson and their son Micah back there on the guitar this morning. So uh, it's always special to have uh, these folks. And, of course, our regular group that's always so faithful. Let's stand and let's sing. I will rise. I've come to know Though my heart and flesh may fail There's an anchor for my soul I can say it is well Jesus has overcome And the grave is overwhelmed. The victory is won. He is risen from the dead. Worthy 
can be seated. Well, what a perfect song to begin our service as we celebrate baptism. And so today, over our three services, we will baptize four people together. Isn't that amazing? So we want to give the Lord a hand. And so today we get the opportunity uh, to baptize Jarrett Baldwin in our service. And so if you are a friend or a family member of Jarrett, would you please stand in his honor? Thank you, you can be seated. And so baptism is the uniform of the Christian. It's how we tell the world that we belong to Jesus and he belongs to us. And Jared's been a part of our church for quite some time now. And so I asked him if he would to just share a little bit of his story here uh, with us in this moment. So Jared, would you share? Yeah, so I was, uh, I was baptized when I was younger. But to be honest with you, I didn't really show any fruits that, um, that, I, was, uh, that I knew Jesus. And it took many years for that to come about in me, but over the years, God's been very faithful and brought me to him in salvation. And so I just asked Jake to help me bring this forward to the church so that I can confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Well, my brother, based upon that confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
It's always, there you go. It's always great to start the service with baptism. And uh, we welcome you to worship here at First Baptist. We're glad you're here. If you're a guest, thanks for being here. If you don't mind filling out the guest card in the front of the pew there, or back of the pew, uh, and you can take that uh, at the end of the service uh, down to the Welcome Center. Uh, we have a gift for you if you're here for the first time, and we'd love to get to know you there and maybe direct you to a connection group if you're up for that. Uh, if you are here, we'd love for you to follow this experience with the connection group. Uh, there's a listing at the Welcome Center. We can get you where you need to be based on your age and, and who you might hang out with. And so we hope you'll be involved in that as uh, you have your morning together with the community of believers here at First Baptist and as we worship God. So that's what we're here to do this morning. We're here to give praise and thanks to God. We're going to sing praises. We're going to hear his word. Uh, we're hopefully digging his word in connection groups. Just enjoy the time in God's presence uh, as he uh, gathers his people together. So we're excited to be here. Let's pray and we'll continue to worship. Father God, we thank you for your, your love for us and that the, the grave uh, has been conquered, uh, the, the sacrifice you gave for us. And we, we sing about that and we, we praise you for that. We celebrate in baptism with that. God, just continue to open our hearts and, and help us to, to give you praise and worship this morning as we uh, look to see what you have to say about the future. Uh, God, you are a wonderful God. Thank you for letting us be a part of your family. Thank you for letting us serve you. Help us to be faithful and give you glory in everything we do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The Word of God says, For the spirit of heaviness put on the garments of praise. That's how we fight our battles. Will you stand with us and let's sing together. This is how I fight my battles. Come on, you know it. This is how I fight my battles. Just like this, singing, worshiping him. This is how I fight my battles. Not like the world fights. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like we're surrounded. Singing. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. That's right. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Hey, yeah. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. Come on, church. This is how I fight my battles. 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 Come on, declare it. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Hey, yeah. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Thank you, Lord. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Oh, yeah. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. One more time. This is how I fight my battles. 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 This 
is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance with my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again to a family. Your blood flows through my veins. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child.
come before you this morning just acknowledging that you are God and that we are your children, that we don't have to even fight our own battles, that you are there to fight them for us. The, the way we fight our battles is we, we come before you and worship you and lift your name up on high, and you will break the chains that bind us. Lord, you just said, tell us to keep our eyes on you. And so, Lord, this morning we want to keep our eyes focused on you. Lord, I ask you just to be with Dr. Cox this morning as he brings the message. Open our ears and our hearts to hear from you that we may be different when we leave than we were when we came because we have experienced you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Good to see you today. Good to be with you today. I was a little bit sick last week. I appreciate Jake uh, uh, filling in for me. Good to be back with you today. Uh, I want to talk about the future. What's going to happen in the future? We'd like to know, wouldn't we? Uh, but it's hard to predict the future. When I was a young child, or about the time I was born, is what's called the golden age of futurism when there were a lot of predictions of the future. NASA was founded in 1958. There were the eyes were on space. John F. Kennedy said we're going to get to the moon by the end of the 60s. So there was this futurism. And then uh, in 1962, there was a television show that came on to ABC. It was the first show that was broadcast in color on ABC. It didn't matter that it was broadcast in color. None of us had color television sets. Uh, so we couldn't see it. When I was a kid, every kid prayed that your TV would go out because then your parents might buy a color television. But they'd just put a new tube in and fix it, and, oh, we prayed for TVs to fail. But anyway, 1962, television show came on, first color television show on ABC called The Jetsons. And The Jetsons predicted what life would look like 100 years ahead in 2062. That's about 40 years from now. We're going to watch a one-minute clip of the Jetsons. You see if you think we're going to get there in 40 more years. Here's uh, George Jetson dropping his kids off for school. Let's watch it. think we're going to get there in 40 more years? I'm, I'm not sure. It's hard to predict the future. Well, if we want to look to the future, the one to look to is Jesus. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And beginning today, Lord willing, I'm going to share with you a four-week series of sermons called The Future According to Jesus. We're going to look at a chapter in the last week of Jesus' life where he gave some amazing predictions of the future in response to a question by his disciples. 
is found in Matthew chapter 24. We're also going to look at the parallel passages in Mark 13 and Luke 21. Each of the three synoptic gospels has this chapter with some little different details, so you may want to flip back and forth or just watch the screen. We're going to go through the next four weeks verse by verse through this chapter and understand what Jesus tells us about the future. Here we go, beginning in Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to call his attention to its building. This is a significant th phrase, Jesus left the temple. This is Tuesday, the last week of his life. He's going to die on Friday. The previous Sunday, he had triumphal entry. The day before, he had thrown the money changers out of the temple on Monday. Now he's taught all day, and he's leaving the temple, and he will never enter the temple again. He's leaving the temple and walking away. And let's back up for just a moment to the last verses of chapter 23 and see the final words that he shared in the temple. Matthew 23, verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house, that's the temple, is left to you desolate. Jesus is saying the age of the temple is over. I'm leaving the temple, and its age is over. And a few days from now, the veil in the temple will be torn in two from top to bottom. I leave your house desolate. For I tell you, verse 39, I will, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is leaving the temple. As they're leaving, his disciples admire the temple structure. Skip to Mark 13, 1. Let me read you his reading. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And indeed, that was true. This was one of the wonders of the architectural world. Josephus, a Roman historian, tells us that some of the stones in the temple in Jerusalem were 60 feet long, 18 feet high, 12 feet thick. Let me draw your attention to the walls on either side of you. I've stepped off those walls, and it's about the size of that wall. The wall on either side is about 60 feet long. It is 18 feet to that cornice, the wooden cornice at the top of the stone glass windows. So the biggest stones in the temple, when the disciples said in, Matthew, in Mark 13, 1, what massive stones, the largest stones were the size of that wall. 60 feet long, 18 feet high, 12 feet thick. How did they maneuver those before they had machinery? It's an amazing wonder. And they admired those temples. And then they said, what magnificent buildings. The temple complex, King Herod was a builder, and he had been remodeling the temple at this point for 40 years and still was not done. He had enlarged the temple uh, area around the building uh, to 35 acres. When you came in it, you crossed a bridge 350 feet long. The retaining wall, where the top of that mountain had been leveled off, the retaining wall was 15 stories high. And you came to that temple complex, and there were porches all around it, colonnades. And the royal porch where Jesus taught, there were 160 columns, 35 feet high, 5 feet in diameter. An amazing complex. And then the, the temple itself made out of white marble overlaid with gold 150 feet high. 
one of the wonders of the world. If it stood, we would still marvel at it like we do the Taj Mahal, like the pyramids of Egypt. And they marveled at the buildings. Now look what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 2. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Wow. Jesus said, yeah, it's pretty spectacular. There will not be one stone left on another. Those 18 feet tall stones, not one left on another, he said. They walked on out of the temple, down into the Kidron Valley, past the Garden of Gethsemane, up the Mount of Olives. They must have walked in stunned silence. The disciples would have a hard time taking this in. What if you were on a tour of Washington, D.C., and somebody said of the Washington Monument, the Capitol, the, the Lincoln Memorial, not one stone will be left on another. And so they, it says they in verse uh, 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they get to the top of the Mount of Olives. You can still, if you go to a tour of Israel today, your bus driver will stop on the mount, top of the Mount of Olives and you'll look across the Kidron Valley and there's the Dome of the Rock and the Temple, the plaza there. You still a spectacular view of it today. They sat down there and facing it and they said, when's this going to happen? Now, before we look at that, let me give you a little background. In the first temple that Solomon built, God judged that temple and Jerusalem and the prophets predicted that it was going to be destroyed, right? And Ezekiel 10 and 11 tells before its destruction that the glory of God withdrew from the Holy of Holies. And the glory of God left that place, it says in Ezekiel 10. And the, Ezekiel 11 says, and the glory of God paused on the Mount of Olives. Now let me share with you the parallel. The glory of God never returned to the second temple when it was rebuilt after the exile. There's no record in the Bible that that glory of God ever returned. When did the glory of God return to the temple? The glory of God returned to the temple when John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory, the glory of the one and only Son of the Father. The glory of God is Jesus. And when Jesus walked back into that temple, the glory of God was in the temple. And now he says, I tell you, I leave you desolate. I am withdrawing and I will not return. And the glory of God walked out of the temple. And where did it pause? Just like in Ezekiel 11, the glory of God pauses on the Mount of Olives. Wow, what a parallel. And so Jesus is the glory of God. And so they ask him these two questions in verse Three, when is this going to happen? When's the temple going to be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Now, they ask these questions together because they cannot imagine that the two events won't happen together. They cannot imagine the destruction of the temple without the end of the world. We know, as we're going to see in this chapter in the next few weeks, they did not happen simultaneously. It is going to be 40 years later in 70 A.D., we'll see next week, when Jesus' prediction of the destruction of the temple takes place, his prediction of the, the timing of the end and the signs of his coming have not yet happened. There's going to be, but they can't see that. And so Jesus in this chapter is answering both of these questions. And part of our challenge of understanding is when is he talking about destruction of Jerusalem and when is he talking about the end of the age? But first, what Jesus wants to tell them is 
The end is not going to come right away. You need to be ready for some stuff that's going to happen. And so Jesus tells six prophecies that we're going to look at today that are false signs. They're not signs of the end. They're going to characterize the whole time before he comes, and it's going to take a while before he comes back. So we're going to look today at these signs. Number one, Jesus says, false teachers will come and deceive many. Verse 4, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. The first thing that Jesus says is going to happen, that's going to characterize the time before his, his coming, and, and it's going to be a while, is that there are going to be false teachers that are going to come and deceive many, and Jesus says, don't be fooled by them. Don't be fooled. Um, the tactic of the devil is deception. He's going to take some truth and mix in some error with it. And he wants to lead you astray in your faith. And uh, his, his MO is deception. Now, Jesus is not talking about people who don't believe or who are outside the church. He's talking about many will come in my name. He's talking about cults. He's talking about people who try to convince you the Bible is not true, who may say they're religious, but they cast doubt on the truth of the Bible. And there's going to be deception. And don't be taken in by that. Now, to stand against deception, you don't have to understand every cult, every false teaching, every wind that blows. All you got to do is know the truth. You just know the truth of the Bible. You get schooled in the basic message of the gospel, and you'll be able to discern error. But that's the first thing that Jesus says is going to happen. Second prophecy of Jesus is there will be wars, and Jesus says, don't be frightened. There will be wars. Don't be frightened. Verse 6, he says, for you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. In other words, these things don't portray that the end is near. Now, here's what happens with many of us as evangelical Christians. Every time we hear of a war, oh, this is the end. And every time Iran does something or Iraq does something or uh, Palestine or Russia invades somebody, somebody writes a book, and this is the, the end of time is coming because here's this war about to happen, and we lose credibility with the war because we're always saying that all these wars are the, the sign of the end. Jesus said these wars are not the sign of the end. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and this is not yet the end. It characterizes our age. That's what he says here. Then, third, he says, there will be natural disasters. There will be natural disasters. Matthew 24, verse 7. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So here, two of the natural disasters that he says are going to come. There's repeatedly going to be famines. There's repeatedly going to be earthquakes. Let's jump over to Luke, and he adds a couple more. Luke 21, verse 11. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences. We're going through a pestilence right now. In various places, fearful events and great signs from heaven. And it says in... Uh, Matthew 24, 8, all these are the beginning of birth pains. 
So these are not the end. These are the only the beginning. They're, you're you're going to have to go through a lot of this. So don't get all alarmed every time there's an earthquake, every time there's a war, every time there is a pandemic, every time there are signs in the heavens. It doesn't mean the end is coming. It doesn't matter if somebody writes a book about four blood moons and oh, all these signs in the heavens are going to portray the end. Jesus, we, we're, we're making all these books. Jesus specifically is saying these are not the signs of the end. There's going to be comets that come. There's going to be eclipses. There's going to be famines and earthquakes. And it may seem like the end of the world if you're in it. Certainly, if you're in the middle of an earthquake or a tornado, you feel like, oh, this must be the end of the world. But Jesus said, no. Don't get alarmed. This is just a broken world that we live in. And in this broken world, until Jesus comes and redeems it and makes it whole and harmonious again, there's going to be all kind of chaos. And so there's going to be natural disasters, and there's going to be all kind of stuff that goes crazy. And he says, don't be alarmed by those things. Those are not the signs of the end. They're the beginning of birth pains. Now, it's been a long time since Cindy and I had kids. I don't know how it is now, but when, when we uh, were having kids, they said, when you first get those contractions, don't come to the hospital. We'll just send you home. You've got to wait till they're certain minutes apart because this could be, take forever. This could be uh, false labor. So these things are the beginning of birth pains. They're not the sign of delivery. You don't go to the hospital yet, Jesus is saying. Don't get worked up yet. These are just the start of contractions, and those contractions are going to take place throughout this age. Now, next thing he says, Christians will be persecuted. Verse 9, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. So Jesus says that Christians are going to experience opposition, hatred. The world does not like somebody showing them that there is sin and that there is the need for repentance that's unpopular they hated Jesus because it makes you feel uncomfortable you'd rather have somebody not confront you and call you to righteousness and repentance and faith and so they hated Jesus and they're going to hate us you just we don't want to get a martyr complex that we go, but it's going to happen we're going to be persecuted even some are going to be killed he says and our view of persecution is that we pray that we'd avoid it. Oh, Lord, don't let us go through persecution. But look what in, um, look at Luke's account, what he says about its purpose. Luke uh, 21, 12. Before all this, they'll seize you and persecute you. They'll hand you over to synagogues, put you in prison. You'll be brought before kings and governors, all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. God has a purpose in persecution. We're praying to get out of it. God says, I've got a purpose. There's going to come some opposition, and then it's going to test your faith, and you're going to have a chance to witness, and we're going to see if you're really going to stand up for me in times of persecution. So we're praying to get out of it. Jesus says, I've got a purpose for you to go through it. I'm not going to get you out of all of it. It's part of my plan of how you're going to share the good news. He says, but make up your mind, verse 14, not to worry beforehand how you'll defend yourselves, or I'll give you the words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. And then he says, verse 16, you'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, friends. So some of the opposition will be governmental in the first part of the passage. Some of the opposition will be more local and familial, your family. 
Many, of course, former Muslims deal with that. Whenever they turn to Christ, they're abandoned by their faith. It could happen uh, to us. It may happen to some of you that you've got your life changed and, you're, and it's not been popular with your family. And, and God is for families. And when you come to faith in Christ, it's going to be the best thing for your marriage. But some of your other family may not like the change that is taking place in you. And you may experience some of this betrayal by parents, brothers, or sisters. Jesus says that'll happen. And they'll put some of you to death. This is a popular idea to get you to become a Christian, isn't it? Hey, come follow Jesus. You could get killed doing this. So what he says. Everyone, verse 17, will hate you because of me, but not of a hair of your head will perish. Now, how can he say in one verse, they could kill you, and then in the next verse say, but not a hair of your head will perish. That doesn't seem to go together, does it? How can that be? The answer is the resurrection. Yeah, you can get killed following Jesus, but you'll lose nothing following Jesus. It'll all be restored. Listen, most of my hair is gone, but I'm going to get it back. Not a hair of your head will perish. It isn't going to perish. Hey, right? You could lose a limb. You won't have a, a, a lost limb in heaven. You could lose an eye. Not an eye, not a hair of your head, not a limb. Every, anything you've lost in your life. Some of you have had cancer surgery. And you've lost and this says that when you follow Jesus, not a hair of your head will perish. It's all coming back together. It's all going to be restored in the resurrection, he says, forever and ever. So stand firm despite the suffering. Next, he says, number five, many will turn away from the faith and the love of most will grow cold. Jesus' prediction is that many will turn away from the faith, and the love of most will grow cold. But he says, stand firm despite the desertion of others. Matthew 24, verse, verse 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. It always bothers me when somebody quits coming to church or you read one of these deconstruction testimonies where they renounce faith in Christ. It hurts me, but listen, but don't let it shake you. Jesus predicted it would happen. It, it, it's, a, it's a heartbreaking thing. But Jesus said it's going to happen. He said many will turn away. Are you going to stand for Jesus when many turn away? At that time, many will turn away from the faith betray and hate each other. Verse 11, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. We talked about that. Verse 12, because of their increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So hear that warning. The tendency is for your love for Jesus to grow cold unless you maintain that. How do you keep your love from growing cold? Well, if you're, if you're building a fire or you're heating charcoal on your grill, if you got it piled up together, it'll get hot, won't it? You spread it out, it'll grow cold, right? That's why I'm concerned about those of you who aren't connected to church or are connected. To, that's why I want you to be in a connection group. Because the tendency is for love to grow cold, and when you're spread out, coals cool off. When you pile them together, they get warm, right? When you feed a fire with oxygen and fuel, it grows. And if you're not in the Word, the tendency is to grow cold. I don't want my love for Jesus to grow cold. Do you? I want, I, want to, I want to be as white hot for Jesus as I've ever been. 
And the tendency of life is for your love to grow cold. Now notice something here. Jesus didn't say, and the obedience of many will grow weak. He could have said that, because that goes together. He didn't say the faith of many will wane. He said the love of most will grow cold. Why did he say that? Because the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First and foremost, being a Christian is a love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Do you love Jesus? Is your love burning hot for him because the tendency will be when there is persecution and when there is stuff that happens for the love of most will grow cold will you say today Jesus I want to stay close to your church I want to stay in your word because I want my love to burn hot for you to the end I want to stand firm to the end I don't want my love to grow cold number six last one he says Verse 14, or, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. Verse um, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The first, negative, the first five of these predictions have been negative, sort of bummers, sort of downers. This one is positive. The gospel it's just 12 of y'all, just 120 of you all. It's going to go to the end of the world. There are different systems of eschatology of belief in the end. Early in the 20th century, post-millennialism dominated. It emphasized that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. It's a positive system. It would emphasize this verse. Now today, there are more premillennialists. It emphasizes the first five of these. Oh, it's bad. It's going to get worse. Bad, bad, bad. Going to get worse, worse, worse. That's, po- that's premillennialism. Postmillennialism. Oh, it's yeah, the gospel is going to the end. They're both here. Here's what I say to you. Hold your isms lightly. Hold the word of God tightly. Hold your isms lightly. It's okay to have isms. Isms bring all these things together. and Try to help us make sense and systematize. Hold your isms lightly. Hold the Bible tightly. Because Jesus said there's going to be wars, going to be famine, going to be persecution, love must go and go, go, and the gospel's going to go to the ends of the earth. You see it? So, uh, has the gospel, has this verse been fulfilled yet? Because he says, uh, these others, he's been, hold, hold, don't see these as signs. Uh, don't, no. Now he says, and then the end will come. Well, if it means that the gospel has to be preached to all political units, that's already happened. There are 195 nations in our world, 197 if you count Palestine and Taiwan, and the gospel's been preached in every nation, every political unit. But the word here in Greek, and the gospel will be preached as a testimony to all nations, is the Greek word ethnos, that we get our word ethnic from. And so what many would say is it's not just about political units, but it's about those ethnic groups that have their own language and culture. We've got to get the gospel to every one of them. There are 17,000 ethnic, linguistic ethnic groups in the world, they tell us. There are 109 of them that are called unreached, unengaged. Of the 17,000, there's 109 where there is not a credible preaching ministry of the gospel in their language. Some of these are just small groups of 500 people in Somalia or a few thousand in China. But there's 109 still. So 
Maybe it means if you'll get that mission job done and get the gospel to those unreached people groups, then the end will come because the gospel will be preached to the whole world as a testimony. I don't know which that means, if it's political units or ethno groups, but I know Jesus has given us the charge, get the gospel to the whole world because that's going to happen before I return. How do we sum it up? Let me sum it up by saying Jesus said, the fall of Jerusalem and the end of the world are not going to be together. There's going to be a whole lot of stuff that happens before the end of the world. Disciples, and he, sa- he says, there's going to be a lot of chaos, because our world is just chaotic. And it's going to tempt to scare you to death sometimes when there's pestilence and earthquakes and signs in the sky and uh, wars. He said, don't you be alarmed. I got this. It's going to be easy for you to get deceived because the devil it wants to pull you away from Christ in true faith. Don't, don't be fooled. He said, it's going to get tough sometimes. You stand firm. Love most will grow cold. You stand firm to the end because I'm coming again. There's an end coming. Are you ready for the end? That's what we're going to be thinking about in these next few weeks. It's either going to be your personal end, you're going to die, or Jesus is going to come back again. Are you ready for the end chapter? Jesus is the glory of God. He's the one and only. Would you put your faith in him? Would you know him that you can see through error, that you can stand firm, that you can live with joy regardless of the circumstances of your life? Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, I don't want my love to grow cold. I pray that you'll burn within me a passion for your kingdom and your church and for lost people and most of all for you. And I pray right now that we would equip ourselves, that we might stand firm, not be deceived. Lord, if there's a person here who has not put their faith in Jesus Christ, my prayer is that their eyes would be open and your Holy Spirit would convict them and that they would draw near to you. You're our only hope of our world and you're the one who can save us from our sins. And may there be people right now who are saying, I believe this. I put my faith in Jesus. I'll follow him. I'll be baptized as this one was today. I pray this in his name. Amen. Would you stand together with me? We're going to sing a song. This is our time of invitation. If you want to become a follower of Jesus, you can walk forward while we're, we're singing and meet me here. You can join our church in that same way. If you have other questions, you can meet me to, at the Welcome Center and do either of those things there afterward. But we want to invite you. If you need prayer or in any way you want to respond, you can do that right now as we sing together. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant, faithful and Time and time again, you have proven you'll do just what you said. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass great is your faithfulness to me great is 
is your faithfulness to me from the rising sun to the setting same i will praise your name great is your faithfulness to me Away, your words remain the same. Your history can prove there's nothing you can't do. You're faithful and true. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come.
Yes, amen. Amen. Praise God. You guys sing good. Will you all be seated? <laughs> I was sitting here. I was about to start tap dancing. I was I, like, I man, what am I going to do here? I uh, don't usually thanks. do the closings, and I forgot I'm supposed to do them today. Other people are baptizing, doing some things. Hey, I got two things I need to tell you about real quickly. First of all, our prayer ministry. We have intercessory prayer ministry where we ask people to pray for uh, 15 minutes at a designated time each week. We have about 100 people signed up taking the time slot. We've got about 30 or 35 time slots left in the waking hours every day from 1 to 4 if you're a shift worker or whatever, 1 to 4 a.m. is open. But there are about 30 other slots. Would you uh, consider praying? Our goal is to have somebody praying for our church every waking hour of every week. And we're only about 30 slots from that. Those sheets are all at the Welcome Center. You can see each day of the week, Sunday through Saturday. Pick a day where there's a blank slot. Put your name and uh, your email there. Thank you for helping us and supporting our church in prayer. The other thing I want to share with you is we're doing a church directory. Now, our church pictorial directory is a big help for us to know one another. Three services, it's hard to know everybody. We want to have that community. I've had new members say to me, oh, I'm looking forward to that, that church directory because I want to know people. But the problem is over half of you have not signed up yet. Photography begins two weeks from tomorrow, March the 7th through the 12th. Will you be in our church directory? I know if you're older, you can say, I haven't changed, or I've changed bad. I don't want a picture in there. We need you. We need to be able to know one another. New members want to know you. So we, we only have about 100. Last time we did a directory, four years ago, we photographed 283 families. We only have about 120 of you signed up. Come on, people. We need you to do this. Go to our website, our Facebook page, our Instagram page, and sign up online. They're from 2 in the afternoon till 9 at night. There's only five or six spots left on Saturday. If you got, need to be on Saturday, you need to get on there. Uh, there are plenty of the evening. So uh, it's the only way you'll get a directory to be in it, and then you'll get a free 8 by 10 Now, they're going to try to sell you some pictures. That's how they can give us free directories. You don't have to buy any pictures. You just tell them no, but you'll just have to come, get your picture made, go in the room, look at your, uh, your pose for your 8 by 10 and then you'll, you get that. Okay. Would you help us do that? Now, if, uh, if you're not online, uh, there, Daniel McKenzie is at a table in the foyer right now, and he'll help you get online. You can pick a, a slot right now. Um, but you have to do it online because if we do it paper, then somebody else is doing it online while you're doing it on paper. That won't work, right? So go by there and sign up or just on your phone right now or uh, on in the, the, our website. Do that. Would you uh, be in our church directory? You don't have to be a member. Some things you have to be a member for. But if you just consider yourself a part of our church, you come to a connection group, you haven't yet joined, you can still be in our, our directory. This is just pictures of folks associated who are not ashamed to be in a First Baptist directory. That's all it's, it's saying, okay? So we need your help. Sign up for the directory. I'm done. Let's pray, okay? God, thank you for the fellowship of our church that we can share life together. Bless connection groups as they're about to start. Thank you for guests who are here. Thank you for Jarrett confessing you in baptism. Thank you for the five other people who will be baptized later today. We just pray your blessing upon our church. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Great is your faith.